This is the Icelandic True Crimes Podcast, your weekly injection of Icelandic crime and mystery cases. I'm your host, Margot Björs. Some of the episodes may feel disturbing for some listeners, so advise to skip ahead when needed. Also keep in mind that care and respect must be taken in discussion of sensitive cases. You can find additional information on each case under show notes on the website icelandictruecrimes.com. Let's dive in. The first part of the Sinova cases ended in the summer of 1743 at Althingi, when Sinova declared Hans Vium the sheriff of South Mulasista County as the father of her second child. Sinova said she had privately told Hans Vium that he was the father, but that he had then made her declare her brother, Jón Jónsson, as the father to her child as that wouldn't be any worse than a sibling's first incest, and he also persuaded Senova that she and her brother would be pardoned by the King of Denmark, due to how young they were. By then, four years had passed since Senova and Jon had had a child together, then 16 and 14 years old, and they'd been sentenced to death for an incestuous crime. When Hans Vium then told Jon that Sunneva had declared him as a father to her second child, Jón replied that it must be so if that was what she said, but that he had difficulty believing her to accuse him. When the case was taken to Althingi in 1743, the siblings changed their testimonies. Sunneva declared Hans Vium as the father to her second child, and Jón refused to be its father. Since the Sunneva cases took place, they have mostly revolved around Hans Vium and his county officials. When these cases have been featured, it has been claimed that the enemies of Hans Vium at Althingi in 1743 took the opportunity to gain powers when Sunneva declared him as the father of her second child, and that Sunneva and her brother Jón were then used as pawns in the power conflict between Hans Vium and his enemies. The tendency has also been to mostly paint Hans Vium in a positive light, and that Sinneva had seduced him and tried to criminate him to destroy his life and career. But now I will continue with the Sinneva cases, which lasted for a total of 18 years from the birth of Sinneva's first child in 1739. Let's deep dive into this case. With the legislation of the Grand Judgment in 1564, the intention was to tackle Icelanders' promiscuity. 24 men stood behind the Grand Judgment's law, which they stated should be valid in perpetuity for all people in Iceland, born and unborn, men and women. Didn't they aim a little too high to put in laws that were meant to remain for all eternity? Imagine if these laws were still valid today. According to the Grand Judgment, anyone who cheated or had a child outside of marriage was to be sentenced to death. This was in fact done to deal with those who were not supposed to have children together. 
fornication violations were classified according to severity in the eyes of God and man, and inspired by the third book of Moses, where women who men were not to sleep with were listed. But for the grand judgment, they thought it was enough to list only 17 of them. Mother, sister, daughter, stepmother, son's wife, brother's wife, son's daughter, stepdaughter, brother's daughter, sister's daughter, daughter's daughter, mother's daughter, father's mother, mother's sister, father's sister, wife's mother, wife's sister. In other words, as a man, you are not to sleep with your mother, sisters and daughters, your stepmother and stepdaughters, with the wives of your sons and brothers, with your children's and siblings' daughters, with your grandmothers and your parents' sisters, and with your mother-in-law and sister-in-law. If you did, you were to be beheaded, and the woman you slept with to be drowned. If it was a case of a rape, the woman was to be drowned. And if the man managed to escape, the woman was still to be drowned. Today, incest is still against Icelandic law, but it only takes to close relations between siblings and a parent and their child. However, after Althingi in the summer of 1743, when Sunneva declared Hans William her second child's father, Sunneva and Jón removed from his custody during the investigation of who was the father of the child. As I mentioned in the previous episode of this case, Jón was moved into the custody of the county sheriff Sigurður Stefansson at Smyrlabjörg in East Skaftafellsisla County, and Sunneva was moved to the county sheriff Jón Otson Hjaltalín in Reykjavík. An investigation was started on the paternity of Sunneva's second child, but also on Hans Viem's county officials, as a sentence he passed on the siblings the year before in the district parliament at Bessasteir looked suspicious. In particular, the eight men he'd stated as his assistant judges on the case had not really all been present at the court, and some of their signatures in the court document were fake. In addition, one of them was even a convicted thief and therefore should not have been allowed to be an assistant judge. When Hans Wiem took over his father's county office in 1740, he became the sheriff of South Mulasisla County and got half the Skreda Cluster estate too. At the time, Thorsted Sigurdsson was the sheriff of North Mulasisla County. Before that, Thorsted Sigurdsson had been the assistant of Bessig Wimundsson when he was the sheriff of South Mulasisla County. Thorsted was then commissioned half of the Skriðukluster estate, along with its home ground, and about two years later, he became an assistant of Björn Pietersson, the sheriff of North Mulasisla County, before taking over after Björn retired. But then, Bessa gave half of the Skriðukluster estate to Jens Vium, which Thorsted had previously been commissioned, along with a letter saying that Jens Vium should take over South Mulasisla County when Bessi would retire. A year later, 
Jens Vien made a contract with Thorstein, stating he'd officiate with him and receive half the income of Mulasisla County in whole. But ever since then, a rivalry formed between Thorstein and Jens Vien and their descendants thereafter. Pieter Thorsteinsson was the son of Thorstein, and in 1746, he became his father's assistant in North Mulasisla County and then took over his county office in 1751. After Seneva had declared Hans Wiem as the father of her second child at Althinge in 1743, Pieter was appointed the prosecutor of the case when he began helping his father out with the county officials. It became difficult to find a judge in the province and Pieter acted little on the case until he took over his father's office in 1751. Then the prefect of Iceland was replaced by Count Otto Rantso. He formed a certain panel of judges to investigate the Suneva cases, and the King of Denmark appointed the attorney Björn Markusson and the County Sheriff Thorarin Jonsson of Eyjafjörður to sit in the panel. A year later, in 1752, Hans Wien was temporarily suspended from his county office in South Mulasisla County during the legal proceedings, and Jón Sigurdarsson took over his office until 1756. He had previously been an assistant of the county sheriff in Skaftafelsisla County and was now also appointed the investigative judge of the Sinova cases while Pieter Thorstensson continued as the prosecutor. According to a letter from the King of Denmark, Hans Wien was charged for being the father of Sinova's second child and for the suspicion of forcing her to accuse her brother instead. Hans Wien had bought the farm Eidar in Mulasisla three years prior and then moved there from Skriðukluster and Jón Sigurdarsson moved to Skriðukluster instead. The siblings were moved around in their custody, and Jón moved to Pieter Sigurdarsson in Kettilstadir, after spending eight years in the custody of the county sheriff Sigurdur Stefansson, and Sunneva was moved into the custody of Jón Sigurdarsson in Skriðukluster, when he temporarily took over Hans Williams County office. The same year, Pieter applied to the King of Denmark, to have the whole Mulasisla county divided into two equal parts, whereas he wielded North Mulasisla and Hans Wien had wielded South Mulasisla and the central part of the county. But the prefect Ranso laid against a change while Hans Wien's case was unfinished, on the assumption that Hans Wien would put in a complaint for the income decline awaiting him if he got his office back. In the summer of 1754, an assembly was held at Einarstadir in Reykjadalur for the case of Hans Wien and Sunneva due to her second child. But now the case was more about Hans Wien's malpractice as a county sheriff rather than the incestuous crime of Sunneva and Jón or Hans Wien's paternity dispute. With the testimonies of witnesses in the case, it appeared that the siblings Sunneva and Jón had not been officially summoned to appear in the court at Bessastadir in 1742, but were instead made to appear and summoned. There was also no prosecutor in the case, nor were the siblings given any advocates. In addition to this, 
it looked like no significant hearing had been carried out over the siblings, nor that they had fully confessed to another incestuous crime, without a doubt. Those who were assistant judges with Hans Liam in the case also said they assumed the siblings had confessed, which is actually ridiculous, as judges need to of course be fully certain whether a defendant has confessed or not, not to only assume so. Hans Liam was therefore convicted for malpractice and deposed for negligence and malpractice, and then fined. In the following, Hans Liam relegated his sentence to the Supreme Court of Denmark and then sailed to Copenhagen to get a Supreme Court ruling on his case to get his office back, and then he returned the year after. Meanwhile, Pieter tried again to have Mula Sisla County divided into two equal halves, but on May 1st in 1756, Hans Liam was fully acquitted and therefore got his office back over South Mula Sisla County and escaped all expenses and legal costs. The siblings Suneva and Jon were as well put back into the custody of Hans Liam where he lived at Eidar in Mula Sisla and he also took over the judicial procedure. Hans Wiem continued living at Eidar until 1758, and therefore, the siblings were held there in his custody for the remainder of their case. Pieter Thorstensson discontinued his prosecution against Hans Wiem, but the lawyer Sveit Selvason took over the investigation of the Sinneva cases. In September of the same year, in 1756, Sveit Sölvason held a secondary hearing at Ljósavat in Thingjarsisla County, where he'd summoned Hans Wiem for the paternity of Sunneva's second child and called in witnesses. There, Hans Wiem presented the sentence he'd made at the Bessestad District Parliament in 1742 and demanded its ratification, but the siblings' defense attorney contradicted his claim to the sentence being unlawful. But Sinneva was questioned again, and she still held firm to her prior statement on Hans Wiem being the father of her second child, and that no one else could be considered for it. She said that at the district parliament held at Bessastadir, she confessed to her brother being the father of her second child because of how young and ignorant she'd been at the time, and that she hadn't had an advocate presenting her there. Sinneva also recounted that when she was bedridden due to smallpox in 1742, Hans Wiem had questioned her privately without any witnesses. There she told him he was the father of her child, which he reacted upon in anger, stepping his feet on the ground, banging his fists on a table, and threatening to make things hard for her if she didn't declare her brother as her second child's father. When Hans Wiem's witnesses had then walked in to be a witness to Sinova confessing her brother Jon was the father, she told them she wouldn't get away with the truth, and therefore it would have to be so that Jon was her child's father. At the district parliament held at Bessastadir soon after, she was too afraid to declare Hans Wiem as her child's father, as she was under his power in the custody at the time. Jon was questioned but then he changed his previous statement. All of a sudden, Jon stated he was the father of Sinneva's second child. Sveit Sölvason 
ruled that Sinova was to swear an oath on her statement that she had not had any sexual relations with her brother Jon after their previous incest, despite Hans Vian protesting, and that Jon couldn't be her second child's father. If Sinova was to swear an oath on her statement of Hans Vian being the child's father, then the death sentence he'd ruled on the siblings would be invalidated. Hans Vium fiercely protested against this and didn't want Sunneva to take the oath until a year later at the Althingi parliament and insisted that he himself would take an oath of rejection against Sunneva. He then appealed his case to the Supreme Court in Copenhagen. The siblings' case was to be taken to the Court of Justice at the Althingi parliament the year after. The winter of 1756 to 1757 was extremely difficult for Icelanders. Food and hay shortage increased, famine took over and poverty increased, so people died of hunger and illnesses. In the spring, there was still night frost and cold weather, which remained until the 15th week of summer or in mid-July, and it proved difficult to make hay, so livestock got killed. Sunneva died sometime during this winter, but it is not known exactly when or how. Sunneva was then only 34 years old and had been held in custody from the age of 16. It is most likely thought that she died in the custody of Hans Vium at Eidar after becoming ill during the winter. But some say that Hans Vium may have starved Sunneva in her custody, which then led to her death but it also became a legend that Sunneva had actually disappeared and that Hans Vium may have killed Sunneva by drowning her in a drowning pool close to Skriðuklöster. I will tell you more of this legend later in this episode. But if Sunneva hadn't died that winter, well, or disappeared, she would have taken an oath against Hans Vium and the siblings Sunneva and Jón then escaped their death sentence as the king of Denmark would have most likely commuted their sentence for the first incestuous crime. The course of event would have become totally different than it did. In the summer after Sunneva died, in 1757, the siblings' case was taken to Alfinki, and the sheriff Pieter Thorstenson intended to have Jón disclaim his paternity of Sunneva's second child with an oath, so he could stay alive. As Sunneva had died, she never got to confirm her statement by taking an oath, but the Supreme Court in Copenhagen ruled that Hans Vium could swear an oath on his innocence. Jon said that he had previously denied being the father of Sunneva's second child out of stupidity and insistence. It was considered that the reason for Jon confessing to the paternity of the second child was due to him becoming mentally ill and wanting to die as soon as possible. It's not surprising if he was afflicted with grief by the death of his sister, and that after 18 years of imprisonment and misery, he had given up on life and wanted to fast-track his death. A year later, on July 11th in 1758, Jón's case was finally settled by the Court of Justice at Althingi. 
Hans Wiem insisted on Jon getting the heaviest punishment possible by the law, but Jon's defender insisted on Jon being acquitted on the grounds that Sinneva had been ruled to take an oath on his innocence, and that until her death she'd been firm on her statement of his innocence, and that should be equal to her taking an oath. If Sinneva had not passed away, she would have formally taken her oath, which would have led to her brother being acquitted. But the Court of Justice at Althingi didn't consent to this, and therefore ruled that Jon should be decapitated with an axe. Magnus Gislason, who had by then become the governor of Iceland and pronounced Jon's sentence at Althingi, is said to have moved to tears when he read out his death sentence. But the court's ruling was consequently relegated to the King of Denmark to seek out a reduction of Jon's sentence, and later the same year, Jon's death sentence was changed to a lifetime slavery in chains at the Copenhagen Stockshouse prison in Denmark. In the fall of 1759, Jon was sent to Copenhagen in Denmark to the Stockshouse, which had then been a slave prison since 1670 and housing only men who had been sentenced for incestuous crimes or of loss of their honor. The Stockshouse derived its name from the method of placing its prisoners' feet in two holes on horizontal stocks, which were tree locks laid on a ground. Men from Iceland and other countries who had committed major crimes and were sentenced to life imprisonment or lifelong punishment and slavery were sent to the Stockshouse. The prisoners did various jobs under surveillance by building new buildings in Copenhagen city and maintaining bulwarks but those who had not committed a major crime and had a chance of being released were rented out to the public to do various work in Copenhagen. Their stay in the Stockshouse was considered very tough and physical torture was applied, such as flogging, branding and isolation in a cage called the birdcage. For defendants, a sentence of a lifetime of punishment in the Stockshouse was however not a better alternative to an execution, since the prisoners were made to wear chains and live in bad conditions, and many of them died shortly after being transferred to the Stockshouse. That was due to the punishments applied to them and the housing condition they lived in. Of the 18 Icelanders transferred to the Stockshouse in the fall of 1757, 14 of them died within a year, and 11 of those had died within the first six months. When they arrived to Copenhagen, the prisoners were first flocked in front of the town hall at the King's New Square, or Kongens Nytorv, where they were bound, chained, and flogged with either breastwood or a whip made of ropes or knots. And the strokes were often divided into 20 strokes a day over a few days in a row. Most of the Icelandic prisoners became malnourished during their stay in the Stockshouse, in addition to being more susceptible to infectious diseases such as cholera, smallpox, and tuberculosis than other prisoners who came from France and Germany, for instance. All of these 18 Icelanders were young men, and their average age was of 26 and a half year. When an English doctor studied prisons in Northern Europe by the early 19th century, he mentioned that the Stockshouse in Copenhagen 
was the most repulsive prison he'd ever seen. But the Stocks House was still not let off until 1860. I will later discuss the Stocks House and other prisons relevant to the Icelandic history in another episode. In 1763, more people were needed to work in the Finnmark state in North Norway, and also to increase the population of Norway. Therefore, on June 17th that year, many prisoners from the Stocks House and other prisons were pardoned and consequently sent to Finnmark in July the same year as free men to fend for themselves in a legal manner like other commoners in the fishing industry or other employment with the same wages as other workers in the country. Among those sent to Finnmark were 12 Icelanders and eight of them came from the Stocks house, including Jón Jónsson, the brother of Sinova, who was then 38 years old. These prisoners got their honor back, and it was underlined that their sentences and punishments were to not affect them or their families thereafter. Nothing more is known of what became of Jón after his arrival to Finnmark, but it is possible that he may have started a family and therefore his descendants may be found in Norway. When Thorsteinn Sigurdsson, Peter's father, passed away in 1765, Hans Wien got Thorsteinn's half of the Skriðukluster estate and therefore he owned the whole estate. From then on, Hans Wien's enemies grew in numbers. Before this, there had been a lot of conflict between Hans Wien and Pieter, Thorstein's son, which increased after this event. Hans Wien suffered loss of respect and reputation due to the Seneva cases, while Pieter enjoyed the benefit of respect for his orderliness and intelligence, as well as his friendship with the governor Magnus Gislason and the advocate Olaver Stefansson, his son-in-law. Years of conflicts between Hans Wien and Pieter Thorstensson continued for wealth and power within the Mulesisla county, which I will not go further into here. Hans Wien remained in his county sheriff position until he vacated the office in 1778. I want to mention that around 1760 lived a well-known outlaw in Iceland, Eventur Jonsson, nicknamed Fjalla Eventur or Mountain Eventur, and his wife, Hatla Jonsdóttir. Hans Wien had a small role in their story, and I will tell you more of Fjalla Eventur and Hatla in another episode later. After Hans Wien moved from Eidar in 1758, he spent most of his life at Skriðukluster. His wife Guðrún Árnadóttir died in 1771, and Hans Wien married Öna Guðmundsdóttir, who was about 36 years younger than him, but together they had no children. In early 1765, one of Hans Wien's sons drowned, named Niels, and he was considered to be Hans Wien's favorite of all his children. In total, Hans Wien had four children. The sons Niels and Evert, with his wife Guðrún, but also two illegitimate children in the Westman Islands with a woman named Haldora, before he became the county sheriff of South Mulasisla. First a daughter, and then a son named Christian, 
which Hans Liam and his wife Guðrún took in, but he left his daughter with her mother Haldora in the Westman Islands. In his elder years, Hans Liam was described as an intractable and drunken man, but many county sheriffs of his time were known for heavy drinking. Hans Liam passed away in 1788, then thought to be 73 years old. On his deathbed, he specifically requested that the county sheriff Pieter Thorstenson was to not be allowed to attend his burial, but his family still went against his wishes. When Pieter was invited to be present, he is to have said, I will do it with pleasure. They had been enemies up to the day Hans Liam died, and so Pieter must have looked forward to finally see Hans Liam buried in the ground. After Hans Liam's death, his thefts were higher than his assets. Guðmundur Paulsson took over the Skreiðakluster estate and a year later he married Una, Hans Liam's widow. Hans Liam was buried in the cemetery at Skreiðakluster. Some say Sunneva also rests within the cemetery, not far from Hans Liam's grave or that she rests right outside the cemetery walls. But no evidence has been found on where she may rest, and also, those who had been sentenced to death were not allowed to be buried in the holy ground of cemeteries, so it's unlikely that she was buried there. Steinun Kristjansdóttir, a professor in archaeology, oversaw the archaeological excavation of the cemetery at Skriðuklustur, where 295 individuals were found to have been laid to rest in the surroundings of the minster which there once stood. Steinun also represents the research project Cairns of the Condemned, which I mentioned in the first episode of the Sunneva cases. Most of the graves found during the excavation are thought to be from the time when Skriðakluster was a monastery, before county sheriffs began to reside there, and that later these county sheriffs and their relatives were buried in the cemetery. No gravestones were found during the excavation of the cemetery, nor did any of the coffins bear a cross. Of the 242 graves opened, 91 people had been buried in a coffin, while others were buried without a coffin and some even shared a grave. The cemetery at Skriðakluster was laid off in 1792, just four years after Hans Wiem was buried there. The following is a well-known verse related to the Sunneva cases. Tind er æra, töpuð er sál, tunglið veður í skýjum. Sunnevu nú sípur skál, sýslumaðurinn Wiem. This translates to Lost is honor, lost is soul, the moon waits in clouds, now Sunneva's bowl sips, the sheriff Viam. It is not known if this verse is referring to Hans Viam or his father Jens Viam, but many theories exist on the occasion of this verse being written and by whom. But whether the verse is directed at Hans or Jens Wiem, its subject matter indicates guilt of the person in question, rightfully or not. 
and has probably been in unison to the rumors going around at the time the Sinova cases happened, that Hans Wiem was really the father of the second child of Sinova. One theory on the occasion of this verse being written is that the attorney Svet Selvason did so, either after Sinova declared Hans Wiem as her second child's father at Althingi in 1743, or when the Sinova cases were completed with the death sentence of Jón in 1758. Svet was considered the most hostile towards the county sheriff Hans Wiem during the Sinova cases. But Svet is supposed to have hidden the words in a guidance cairn at Kaltetaler Valley on his way from Althingi, and intended for Hans Wiem to find the words there on his way back from Althingi. Those guidance cairns were mounds of stones built as landmarks for guidance on thoroughfare tracks on highlands and mountains. The guidance cairns which verses were hidden in were called bone ladies, and the verses therefore called bone lady verses. Accompanying Svet on his journey back from Althingi was Eckert Eriksson, who later became a priest, and he added this to the verse. The happiness of Hans became slippery in her loins of lust. Eckert was then a deacon and Svein's guide on his journey, but when he had later become a priest at Glömsbær in Skagafjörður, he told Gisli Konradsson, an Icelandic historian who later wrote about the Sinova cases, about this verse and what he himself had added to it. He also told Gisli that he witnessed Svein shed a tear, when he heard the death sentence of Jón read out. From the 17th century until the 20th, it was frequented to write a verse on a piece of paper and put it into a leg bone of a sheep or horse, before slipping it into a crack of the guidance cairns on thoroughfares, usually on maintained tracks. The verses were sometimes directed at specific men who were expected to be next making their way by these cairns, and the verses were either obscene or to mock that person. The Bone Lady, located at the Kaltetaler Valley, is the most well-known of these guidance cairns, and through that valley, men went riding their horses from the northern part of Iceland to Althingi at Thingvellir and back. Surprisingly, this Bone Lady still stands at Kaltetaler Valley, the verse of the Sinova cases is the most known of the Bone Lady verses that have been found. Another theory regarding the occasion of this verse is that the verse was written after Jens Wiem drowned in the spring of 1740, shortly after he'd ruled that the siblings Sinova and Jón were to be executed for their incestuous crime. But this theory has been less referred to, as it is more likely that the verse was intended for Hans Wiem and not his father. The next theory is that the verse was written on the occasion of Hans Wiem having killed Sinneva by drowning her in a drowning pool at the bottom of the waterfall Tovifoss in the Bessastadaau river, close to Skredekluster. Hans was supposed to have taken Sinneva alone to the river, then put her into a bag and thrown her into that drowning pool. This legend tells that Sinneva then floated back up because she was pregnant for the third time, and that the stream in the river brought her to the nearest rock, which she climbed up on, 
with Hans Liam then jumped in and swam to the rock where he held Sunneva down in the water until she drowned. If this legend is true, it would have been a big deal if Sunneva had become pregnant for a third time, let alone if Hans Liam was responsible for it. Also, the reason for Hans Liam drowning Sunneva could have been so she couldn't swear her oath against him at the court in Althingi the next summer. Today, this drowning pool now bears the name Sunneva Helur, or the drowning pool of Sunneva. The waterfall Tovefoss runs down the river Besastadaá and is located close to Skriðuklustur, and the drowning pool there was used to drown convicted women who had been sentenced by the court at Besastadir. It is known that the woman Haldora Jónsdóttir was drowned there in 1729 for an incestuous crime after her father Jón Eyjólsson raped her and she then gave birth to her child in 1725. During her pregnancy, her father made her declare another man as her child's father, and when it was born, her father took the baby and buried it. He told Haldora that the child had been born dead. But when the child was later found, Haldora told on her father. Even though her father confessed to raping her, Haldora was sentenced to be drowned in the drowning pool at the bottom of Tovefoss, and her father was decapitated with an axe. The deep pool at the bottom of the Tovefoss waterfall is both called Drekkingarhelur and sometimes Sunnevehelur. Human bones were later found in the ravine next to the waterfall in 1981. A man found a human skull, and then it turned out a whole skeleton lay there. At first it was thought these human remains could belong to Sunneva, but then it was determined the age of the skeleton didn't fit with being Sunneva's remains. No factual documentation can be found to prove that Hans Wiem killed Sunneva by drowning her in the drowning pool, so this legend must be taken with caution. It was nowhere recorded in any church registers when Sunneva was born, nor when and how she died. However, it does seem suspicious that it wasn't recorded when or how she died, as Sunneva had in those times been well known, so her death or disappearance should have attracted attention and been registered in some form. On April 22nd in 1758, an order from the King of Denmark came, stating that death sentences should not be carried out by execution without first seeking the King's verdict. After that, considerably more people were sentenced to death than those executed. In most cases, the King commuted death sentences he received from the Icelandic authorities, and the sentences therefore changed to life imprisonment which was in fact punishment and slavery for life. Imprisonment sentences were supposed to frighten people, just like executions, but when death sentences were commuted to imprisonment, it was to glorify the government and portray it as kind and gracious, instead of being cruel as its predecessors. The last execution in Iceland took place in 1830, when Agnus Magnusdóttir and Friedrich Sigurdsson were executed for the murder of Nathan Ketilsson. I will tell you about their case in another episode later on. 
1869, a new criminal code was legislated, synchronizing with the new Danish laws, and therefore the death penalty for infanticides and incest was eliminated. As I told you on the first case featured on the Iceland True Crimes podcast, Juliana Silva Jonsdóttir was the last to be sentenced to death in Iceland for poisoning her brother Eyjólfur Jónsson in 1913, and the king of Denmark then commuted her sentence to life imprisonment, although shortly after the king pardoned her due to her bad health. However, the death penalty was not fully eliminated from the Icelandic criminal code until 1928. Nothing is known with certainty of the descendants of the siblings Sunneva and Jón. It is known that Jón had a child with the daughter of Sigurður Stefansson, the sheriff of Skaftafellsisla county, while in his custody there, and an odd child with one of Sigurður's housemates. But whether Jón had children in Norway after he was released from the Stockshouse prison in Copenhagen is not known. I've seen it mentioned that Sunneva's first child was a boy born in October, and that he was put in foster care with a farmer in the northern part of Iceland. But no other documentation can be found, which mentions her children's gender or what happened to them after their birth. Therefore, it is impossible to know exactly who the descendants of Sunneva are in modern time. For 18 years, the siblings Sunneva and Jón were in custody, waiting to be executed. Sunneva to be drowned, and her brother Jón to be decapitated with an axe. It may well be that Jón was the father of Sunneva's second child, but it is also not possible to rule out that Hans Wiem was its father. But it is a mystery, though, why Jón, after he was back in the custody of Hans Wiem after he got back his office, changed his statement and confessed to being the father of his sister's second child. Could it be that Hans Wiem used his office and power with Jón back in his custody and forced him to confess by pressuring or threatening him? We will never find out. But the story of Sunneva Jónsdóttir, who rose up against the oppression of the patriarchy of her time, is a fighting story of her and all the women who were sentenced to death and drowned in the drowning pools of Iceland. Now ends the case of Sunneva and Jón, and in the next episode, I will present a more recent Icelandic crime case. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this case. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow Icelandic True Crimes on Instagram and Facebook. That way, you support this podcast and help others find it. Visit IcelandicTrueCrimes.com for this episode's show notes. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, so you don't miss out on new episodes. Until next, see you in the discussion group on Facebook.